Hello, family. Hello. Um, man, it's so good to be. Uh, so good to be with you guys. I um, I I love Flourishing Grace. Love Josh and Des and the boys and just your your team in this church. So it's it's uh, it's so fun to get to be here to look at God's word together with you guys. Um, so yeah, like like Josh said, you guys have been in this Jesus is Better series going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, today we're looking at chapter 11. Uh, we're we're going to be going through verses 24 to 27. Uh, 24 to 27 of chapter 11. Uh, and so as you, as you turn there uh, <clears throat> and find it, just like to back up for, uh, for a second. So one, one of the things that, uh, that I'm sure you've noticed as you've been going through the book of Hebrews is this theme of endurance. So endurance is a really uh, huge ma- major theme for the writer, um, for the writer of, of Hebrews. And if you back up just one chapter in chapter 10, uh, he, they uh, talk about how the people of God endured uh, this really big conflict. So they, they endured suffering, they endured um, insults, they endured prison. Uh, they joyfully endured having all of their stuff confiscated, so all of their possessions. So like imagine uh, that for Jesus' sake you're put in prison, right, which is hard enough. You get out of prison and then they say, oh yeah, now we're going to take all your stuff. Like we're going to take everything you have, everything. Like down from like all the furniture, your TV off the wall, uh, like your bed, everything, clothes, like the wedding ring that your great grandma wore, like everything, like it's all gone. And the writer says, but you endured, so don't throw away your confidence. And then over in chapter 12, which you haven't got to yet, uh, the writer is going to tell us to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured. So it's that word endured. He endured the cross. So Hebrews uh, is, is written to a group of Jesus followers. They, they just want to quit. Like, we're at our end. This is getting ridiculous. This is too much. Like, we're not just getting insulted, but they're, like, taking everything from us. This is, this is just too much. How, how do we endure? Like, how do you make it? Like, how do, you, how do you stay on your feet in that kind of a context and, and endure? Or how, how are you going to endure? Like you, sit, sitting here, Bountiful, Utah, in the year 2021, like how are you going to make it? Like in a um, complex, anxious age of intolerance, which we see all over the news, we see it all around us, individualism, radically individ, individualist uh, society, right? Um, this evolving technologically and sexually, this culture, like how, how are you going to make it? Like how do you last? How do you... How do you live and cultivate this resilient identity that's grounded in intimacy with Jesus so that you shine bright in the culture and in society and in the world and people are drawn to it? Like, is that even possible? Like, how, how are you going to endure, right? Like, how are you going to make it? And so the writer of Hebrews, and especially in chapter 11, he's, he's going to say, yes, you can make it. Yes, you can do it. And it's actually... Uh, fairly simple. You just need to look at the life of Moses, <laughs> or specifically a few things that a few things that Moses did. So, see, cha- chapter eleven uh, hits on this idea of how faith leads to endurance. That's what faith does. Faith is designed to push you and uh, lead you down the path to perseverance. And so that's what we're going to see in the life of Moses. So let's let's uh, let's look at our Bibles. At Hebrews 11, and we're looking at verses 24 to 27, page 1110, all right? 
Uh, and if you would stand with me as I read this, just out of reverence for God's word, let's, let's, hear, let's hear what God's spirit is saying to us today. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is God's word. All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> okay, so what's, what's going on here in this, in this text? Well, the, the, um, the writer here is using the life of Moses. He's using the faith of Moses as an example for us. Because Moses' entire life is marked by awareness. He was just always aware of the presence of God. Like it's marked by uh, closeness, proximity to the presence of God in Moses' obedience. Obedience. To God, And so if, if you want to see a really helpful recap of the career of Moses, then you can go to Acts 7, uh, and it's like 20 through 44, and Stephen kind of gives this whole speech where he breaks down, this is the life of Moses. So I think it's helpful to just kind of back up and, uh, and just kind of uh, think about what, it, what was Moses' life about. So if you remember Jacob, right, so God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has sons. Joseph was one who rose to prominence in Egypt. Right, so he was the right-hand guy to Pharaoh, um, and, uh, but eventually those guys died. Yes. Uh, and so they, but they weren't buried in Egypt. They were buried over here in the land that God promised them. But all their kids and their grandkids stayed back in Egypt. So they stayed in Egypt, and over the years they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and eventually they became this kind of great, great nation within Egypt. So Moses is born at a time when Pharaoh, who's the most powerful, influential person in the empire, uh, in, in an effort to kind of uh, deal with these, in, like with this increasing number of Israelites, he makes this edict. Every male child born to an Israelite uh, is going to be put to death. Moses' parents are like, nope, not going to have it. So Moses' mom puts him in a, in a basket on the brink of the River Nile and sends him down the river. It's like you moms in the room, if you could imagine putting your infant son in a basket, in a river, and he just travels past hippos and crocodiles. I mean, the whole thing. It's an incredible story. And he ends up in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, which is crazy. So she adopts him as, as uh, her own. So he's brought up in, you know, wealth and prestige. He has position. He has power. He gets to attend all the great schools. And so he learns all the wisdom that Egypt has to offer. It's just an amazing story, right? And so, you know, here, here in our text it says, by, by faith when he was grown up. Stephen tells us it's when he was about at the age of 40 years old. He decides, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look on the, the burdens of my people. Like, I want to see what's going on with Israel, right? So he goes out and he sees this one Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, right? And I'm sure you know the story. So Moses jumps into action. He leaps into action, ends up killing the Egyptian. And Stephen tells us in Acts 7 that Moses thought when that happened, the people of Israel are going to see that God sent me to deliver them. But the people didn't see that. Like they, they didn't acknowledge him and receive him as deliverer. So the next day, Moses goes back out and he sees two Israelites now uh, fighting. And so he gets in the middle of them to try to reconcile them to each other, to try to bring reconciliation. And they reject him. They reject him not just as deliverer, they reject his reconciliation that he's trying 
uh, trying to bring. And they say, who made you judge and ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? So Moses, uh, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, uh, this is no longer a secret. This just happened yesterday. You guys already know this. So Moses, at the age of 40, he leaves everything, leaves his mom, leaves, leaves his whole world of Egypt and chooses to go to Midian. And so he goes out there for another 40 years. So now he's 80 years old, and uh, Stephen tells us that he encounters God in the burning bush. God tells him, I have not uh, turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to to my people Israel, and I'm going to use you. I've chosen you to be my deliverer. You're going to be the rescuer who's going to deliver my people Israel. And so God chooses the one whom the people had rejected when they said, who made you judge and ruler over us? So Moses goes all the way back to Egypt, and through many signs and wonders, he delivers the people, like rescues them, saves them. It's amazing. And he walks them through the Red Sea into the wilderness where he leads them for another 40 years. Now he's like the nice young age of 120 years old. And Stephen tells us that the people of Israel still rejected him, like still rejected him, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. So that's, that's the life of Moses. Like that's his career. And you have to ask yourself when you just read his career, you're like, how, how did you even endure all that, right? I mean, that, that, like just one little part of his story would make most of us in this room be like, I'm out, I'm out, this is just absurd. Like how, how did he stay on his feet and how did he endure? And the answer is that his faith led him to endure by doing a few things, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So a few things that we're going to look at from our text. One is that he chose to be mistreated, okay? And, and we're going to walk through each of these. Two is he considered, he considered and counted the reproach of Christ to be of greater value. And number three, it says in verse 27, he saw him who is invisible. So it's just a few key things that Moses did in faith that led him to endure. Um, and most, Moses... Uh, you know, showed the reality of his faith. Like, this is what my faith looks at by the things that he refused to do and the things that he chose to do. And so if we as God's people here this morning, if we will look at Moses, like look at his life, look at the faith that he had and look at these few things that he did, it'll help you endure. Like it'll help you endure right here in 2021. All right. So point number one, point number one, he chose to be mistreated and refused the easy path of luxury. So that's what it says in verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he just straight up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like he, was, he was just not going to do that anymore. To be the son of Pharaoh's daughter made him a prince of Egypt. So he had power, he had influence, he had all these things, but he knew that he couldn't be an Israelite and an Egyptian at the same time. Like he said, I would rather have the privileges that come from Father Abraham than those that come by Pharaoh's daughter. So he, he, made, he made that decision. So think, think about this. What, what sorts of questions do you think uh, Moses had to run through in his mind to get to that decision? Like, like to get to the decision of, I'm going to leave all of this, all the luxury, all the power, all the wealth. Like what, what sorts of things do you think he wrestled uh, with in his mind? Like what, what about the question... Um, you have all this power, you have all this influence, why not stay? Like, stay in that position. Stay in this position of influence and just wield it for good, right? So, I mean, I would, I would have to, I would think through that. Or what, what about the, um, the emotional, familial connection to his adopted mom? Like, here's a woman who loved you. Like, right, she brought you in, adopted you, raised you up as her own. She cared for you, nurtured. 
like that's just that's just cruel, right? Like that's kind of cruel to your adopted mom to be like, yeah, I'm going to choose to be mistreated, and I'm just going to I'm just going to leave this and go go over here. Or what about the argument of providence? Providence. Providence is what brought you here, Moses. I mean, if you think about it, you were put in a basket on the River Nile, and you made it past all the hippos and stuff, which I've read. They're not like the most gentle of creatures. Like, you made it through all that stuff, and you ended up in Pharaoh's daughter's hands, like, just to be raised as a prince of Egypt. Come, that's providence. Like, providence brought you here. Man, it's, it is so easy for us, isn't it, to, to sidestep uh, the, the right path, even though it's difficult, in the name of providence. Like, if you think about Jonah, who didn't want to go where God told him to go, and he wanted to run to Tarshish, he goes down to Joppa and finds a ship headed for Tarshish. Like, providence. I don't have to go to that place. Clearly God wants me to run over here to this, to this other uh, land. We, we do that all the time. But providence, uh, providence can come to you to test you. Like to test you to see if you're actually going to serve the Lord as he intends. And providence is not going to let you uh, make, the, make the wrong decision just because the right decision is a difficult one. It's not going to allow you to do that. So Moses knows, I mean, he, he knows that it was providence that brought him to Pharaoh. I mean, he's not, he's not blind to that. But he also knows that providence brought him to that moment to see whether he's going to give it all up to obey God, to follow God, to trust God, to do what God told him to do. So friends, only when, only when you and I choose the difficult path can you become a man or woman of God capable of seeing that through many trials and tribulation and suffering, you must enter the kingdom of God. You can't do that if you're only on the easy path over here. You see that? Like you're, in, in order to be a person capable of seeing that through much suffering you must enter the kingdom of God, you have to choose the difficult path. Does that make sense? Uh, one, one of the places where, where, where we see this a lot in our lives uh, is, is in the workplace. Where maybe, um, where it's usually harder to be a voice of integrity, right? A voice of honesty, where you're not going to take, uh, you know, you're not going to claim, uh, yes, this was my creativity and imagination that made this happen. Like maybe it was somebody else, but you're kind of, you know, you're going to allow your boss to see otherwise so that you get that advancement, right? But the harder path is no, I'm, I'm going to say what actually happened. I'm going I'm, I'm to tell the truth at the risk of not getting that promotion or that advancement. So, you know, a question that we have to ask ourselves, where, what is going on in our life right now where, where there's a choice to be made? And it's a difficult choice. You know, Peter talks about these trials that you go through, like, like these fiery furnaces. Like they're fiery furnaces because they're really hard and they hurt. Like they hurt. Like, like to not get the promotion and advancement is a pain, like it's a painful process. So what, what, what's the, you know, it might be that there's a conversation that you need to have with a friend, with a family member. This is a difficult, I would rather choose the easy path. The easy path is just to let, let that go. But what's, what, what is God doing in your life, saying in your life right now that you know is difficult? But it's actually the path of deliverance. See, if Moses, if Moses had chosen the easy path, it would have been to his spiritual ruin. And it would have been to the ruin of the people of Israel. So just, you know, think, you know, a lot of times we think, well, the more difficult path is filled with suffering. So therefore, that can't be right. No, it's actually the easy path that leads to destruction. So we, we need to be the kind of people 
who uh, walk out in obedience and faith to God and walk down that difficult path so that you become the kind of person strong enough to see that through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And doing that is going to strengthen you. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you endure. Okay, so that's, that's point number one. Point number two. <clears throat> point number two, verse 26. He considered, that word considered is an uh, important word. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered the reproach of Christ. So it's this word, hegeomai. It's, it's this word that means, um, it's this intellectual process of weighing things, where you're going to count things, you're going to consider things, like you're going to weigh things. So Moses, he weighed things in his mind. Like he weighed everything around him, and he determined that all the pleasures and the treasures and the sin of Egypt is less valuable to me than God. And friends, you and I cannot endure, like we will not endure in this life unless you do that process. Like unless you, unless you do the work of counting, weighing, um, considering what is most valuable. Like you weigh everything around you, everything in the world, and then you ask your heart, what is most valuable to you? Like you have to do that. Uh, my, my folks went, when I was a kid, um, uh, you know, like most of us, you have your, cir- you know, your circle of friends and every now and then, uh, you know, all the heat or the blame kind of gets shifted to you, even though it's not your fault. And as a kid, you're like, that's wrong. You know, I, you know, Joseph said this or Joseph did this. You're like, no, I didn't. I didn't. I did not, you know, and you're just like, where's the justice of it all? Um, you know, we can all relate to this. Yes. Good. Um, so my folks used to tell me, what matters, like, as long as God knows who you are. Like, you know what God said to Samuel, you know, a man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart, right? So, like, like as long as God knows who you are, God knows what, who you are. God looks at your heart. He sees what's in your heart. God knows what happened. Then you should be able to, but, but they lied about me. Yes, but does God know what happened? Yes. Okay, what matters more than God? Nothing. Okay. You see, when, when God becomes the top, the very top of your reality, you're able to endure things. Like you're, you're able to withstand all the things that come against you in life. But it has to be something bigger. Like what's at the top of your reality has got to be something bigger than, than these things around you. And that's why when we make that thing anything, anything other than God, we can't endure. Because you're only as endurable as strong, as steadfast, as what you value most. And, and it, if it's not God, then you're not going to be somebody who endures. Uh, Charles, Charles Spurgeon has a story uh, about this bottle of medicine. So, like, imagine that you have a disease and you're going to die, which is a pleasant thought this morning. Uh, but you need a bottle of medicine. And if you get the medicine, you're going to live. But the medicine is so expensive, you can't afford it. The only way that you can get it is if you sell everything you have. Like, you sell your house you got to sell all your possessions. you got to sell all your clothes. I mean, you'll, you'll basically only have the clothes on your back, but you'll be alive. And so Spurgeon says, what would you do? Well, obviously, you would say, what good is a house? What good is all these possessions, right, if I'm not going to be around to enjoy them? So the, the medicine becomes the top thing in your reality, and it's made everything else that you own, everything else that you have is entirely expendable, right? They, they don't matter as much. 
Because i got to have the medicine. Because if I have the medicine, I'll be alive in God. Like that's, that's what matters most in my life. So you've weighed everything. Keep my possessions, keep these things, but die. That's, that's not as valuable to me as being alive, right? And so he goes on to say that's, you know, you're going you're, you're gonna to walk down a difficult path. Because you might not have a place to live. You're not going to have possessions. Like you're not going to have things. It's a hard path. I know that. But what's most valuable, valuable to me is to be alive in God. So I've got to have the medicine. Um, so, so I'll put it to you another way. My, my wife, Kimberly, um, so she, she has dealt with chronic pain for a lot of her life. And when we were back in Chicago, um, there, there was kind of a two-year stretch that was really, really difficult. Like especially hard. And through, through those couple years, uh, her, her prayers kind of evolved and changed. And it started with what you would normally expect to hear with somebody in a lot of pain. God, heal, heal me. Like, come, deliver me from this. And, you know, he didn't respond. He didn't respond. Months go by. And then eventually it became, uh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm your daughter. You're my father. Like, you should want to do this. Like, you should want to change this for me. Like, transform my life in this way. And you're not doing it. Why? Why? Um, you know, so then it became a lot of expressing that anger, that frustration at uh, God. And then it got so bad. It was one just really dark night, really hard for her. Pain was intense. Um, and so her prayer became, God, it's, it's so difficult. I, it's, it's breaking my heart to continue to come to you and you not respond that I'm just going to have to walk away entirely from you. And it's not that I don't believe you or that I don't love you or that I don't, you know, know these things to be true about you. It's just too painful. Like, it's too painful. So I can't, I just can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm going to walk away. And so that night, God visited her in such a profound way where his presence just overwhelmed her. And she said that she, she just knew in her mind, I have to have you. I have to have you. I, I got to have you. So even if... You know, if, if it means i got to have the pain to have you, fine. Because i got to have you. Like, I must have you. Like, that, that was her prayer. And so, you know, all those prayers of why aren't you doing this? Why don't you heal? Why isn't my life like? That was just off the table entirely. Because God became top reality. And so it made this situation totally endurable. Because I know i got to have you. So Charles, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor uh, back in the 1800s. And here's, here's what he had to say. He said, when a, when a person finds Christ, I cannot tell you how much they value him, but this I know. The entire world seems nothing to a Christian when they have once found their Lord and Master. He says, oh, what a Christ I have, they say. But they cannot tell how dear, how inconceivably precious the Christ of God is to their soul. He said, I see that in Christ there is everything I want. Pardon for my sin, cleansing for my nature, grace to maintain my character and to make me perfectly fit for heaven. There is all in Christ that I need and I must have him. I must have him. It comes to this, at any price, whatever it may cost me, I must and I will have him. So friends, have you, um, have you considered Jesus like that? Like, have you weighed everything in your life, everything, and you count him and consider him to be more valuable than anything in your life? Have you done that? Because if you can and you have done that, then you will endure. 
you will endure. You know, Paul, he, he uses this same word over in Philippians um, uh, 3, where he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted. Like I waited, and I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count, I weigh it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, right? In order that I may gain Christ. So Paul goes on to say that to live is Christ, to die is gain. The only way that dying, like to be a person who says that and believes that, like yes, dying, I would prefer to leave this earth and be with Jesus. Like my wife says that. And like she's like said, I love you and I love the girls, but I would rather be with Jesus. And you're like, yeah, it's kind of hurtful. It's kind of hurtful. I'm pretty awesome, and so are the girls. But she's like, I have, I have seen him, and i got to have him. So it's like the, the only way that you can say dying is gain is if you've done this exercise like Moses did. Like you have weighed everything, weighed it all, and you said, Jesus is most valuable to me. If he is, then he is better than everything you lose when you die. And that's how dying becomes gain for you. So the question is, have you done that? And if you haven't, do that. Weigh everything in your life. Find him to be more precious, more valuable, more greater, better than anything else in your life. And you will, you will endure. Moses valued God as supreme in his life, and he was able to endure. And so can we. Point number three. Point number three. Moses, uh, this is verse, uh, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the angel of the angel the angel of the king the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible so Moses saw him who was invisible he saw him he saw him and i don't think that we need to read this as um, oh this is back when Moses encountered him when he was 80 years old in the burning of the bush uh, that's how he saw the invisible god because i think the order of the text i think i think the writer is telling us what Moses did was he saw the invisible God more than he saw any other king. Like he looked more at God. He looked more at the invisible God and how God was at work around him than any other ruler, authority, any other king. He looked at him. Faith is a conviction of things not seen. Like you don't see it with the eyes. So therefore faith is a conviction of the unseen God. It's a conviction of him. So when, when you and I feel weak, we, we feel like we need strength, we need hope in our life. We don't just need like a pat on the back. Like we need a greater vision of God. Like what, what was the secret to Moses' endurance and steadfastness? It was his lifelong vision of God. That was his secret. He had a lifelong vision of God. His life was marked by the presence of God. And that's what enabled him to endure. Um, you know, back, back in high school, so I played basketball and, uh, you know, a lot of times you suffer a defeat, like a really tough defeat, where you're like, oh, man, like we should have won that game. Can't stand that school, and we should have beaten them. We've beaten them before, but we just lost. You know, even your coach is like, that, that is a tough loss. One, one of the things that our coach used to do is like wheel in the TV, you know, and then put the VHS in, which we all know what VHS tapes are, right? Pop it in. And like, you know, it'd be like a highlight reel of Bird or Jordan stuff, you know, or some college team. And we would just sit and like watch it, just look at it, look at it, look at it. And then after a while of just watching it, you know, you start to be like, yeah, all right, let's, let's go. You know, we, we, we can do this. Like you start to get that strength, that, that passion, that, that zeal again. We, we need to look. 
Like Moses looked at the wisdom of God. He saw the invisible God. We, we need to be the same. Like we need to look. One, one of the uh, main things that, that you guys talk about here at Flourishing Grace is beholding him, looking at him. Like that's, that is so central to being a resilient follower of Jesus Christ in the culture today. Like you got to look at him. You know, we, we become what we behold, right? We become what we behold, so we need to behold um, you know, Brett walked us through Psalm 119 through that passage, uh, incline my will to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Like, don't let my eyes turn to worthless things. You know, the psalmist before that will say, open my eyes to behold wondrous things in your law. Like, open my eyes. Like, you know, he says earlier in 119, I, I will meditate on your precepts. Like, I'm going to look at your law. You know, it's when, when we... Eat food, it's not just the eating of food that's, that sustains us and that nourishes us. It's when your body takes the food, breaks it down and digests it, right? That's, that's what meditating on God's word, that's what beholding God is. Like it's not just listening to a sermon, reading a book, reading God's word. Like I read this text, yes, I believe that. It's meditating on it. Like it's actually taking that and then breaking it down inside. It's digesting the word of God. It's, it's digesting Jesus, which sounds weird. And I've never said that before until right now. But it's digesting him. I think, yeah, I think you can say that. Uh, but it's like t- taking those things and, and breaking that down. That's what nourishes us. It's when, when you behold him. Like I'm going to stop and I'm going to meditate on this. Which means I'm going to take a lot of time and I'm going to see him. Moses, Moses did that. He looked at him. And he saw the invisible God. So friends, we, we don't shy away from the difficult road, but we choose it because we know that's the path of deliverance. And we consider and we weigh Jesus to be more valuable than anything. And we look at him. We don't stop looking at him. Now, as, as incredible as Moses uh, was, and, and he was amazing, um, did, did you notice that the people of God didn't recognize him as deliverer? Like they totally rejected him as a... As a person chosen by God to come and rescue them, to be their deliverer and to be their savior, they rejected him and they didn't receive him. And they had everything. Like they're out in the wilderness, they got the presence of God with them. I mean, you're being led by Moses for crying out loud. Like you're hearing oracles from God through him. Like you have everything you need and they rejected him. Jesus also left his home. He left his home. He came here. It says in John's gospel, he came to his own people and they didn't even see him. Like they didn't even recognize him. But, and they didn't just reject him, they crucified him. And scripture says in Hebrews 12, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So that not just the people of Israel can be delivered and be saved, but so the whole world could be saved for those who put their trust in in Jesus, but you have to see that. Like you got to see that and understand that and love that and love it. And what's amazing about it is Moses, Moses wasn't even able to see that. Like you and I can see that today. Like Moses didn't have the cross. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the resurrection. Like he didn't have that promise fulfilled. Like he didn't have those things. He was still faithful to God. So there's still, we can, we can endure by looking at the life of Moses, absolutely. And we can apply those same principles to our life to help us endure, and we should. I mean, I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do. But then this next chapter is going to say, look to Jesus. Like, we, we, have, we have it easier than Moses. Like, we, we have 
We have a greater, um, a greater path before us because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has accomplished on this side of the cross. So his grace, his strength, his, his endurance, it's all available to you this morning, today. Like everything that Jesus had, his wisdom, his love, his compassion for people, his mercy, his power, um, it's, it's available to you if you would turn and put your trust in him. And if you're here this morning and you're just kind of checking things out, uh, you know, I know, like, you know these guys love that you're here, love that you're here. And, and our prayer for you would be that God would open your eyes, that, that he would graciously open your eyes to see him, to behold him, and to see him as king so that you would turn to him. And men, be, just be changed forever. And if, if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, then the word to you is endure. Endure. You can do it. You can endure. Uh, don't be afraid to choose the more difficult path. See that it's actually the path of deliverance. Weigh everything in your life and find Jesus to be more valuable than anything. And don't stop seeing Jesus. Of all the mighty heroes of the faith who were amazing and who were great, Jesus is better. Yes? Yeah, amen. All right, let's pray. Oh, Father God, you are such a good God to us. You love us. You love your people. You're so patient and merciful with us. The way that you provided for your children, you did not forsake them. You didn't leave them on their own. But you sent a deliverer who was rejected, despised. But you brought about their deliverance and salvation. But we have one who is greater, one who is better. One who came and was rejected and killed, but rose victorious over sin and death. Our king who brings us into friendship and communion with you. It's amazing. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. God, I pray everyone in this room, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, give us all eyes to see you, to behold you, to see your goodness and your mercy and your glory. May all of us turn to you. May we choose difficult paths because we know that's the path you're taking us down. May we value you above all things and may we never stop looking to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.